Hey, what's up? What's up? What's up, everybody? You are watching On the Town. We are back. Uh, so nice to be back and see you all. We've been on a little hiatus. I'm back. Um, so nice to see you guys. Um, and uh, thank you for joining in. I know it's been a while. Uh, it's been um, a nice, long mental health break, we'll call it. Okay. So, you know, it happens. Um, so tonight I'm trying something different here. Um, I normally come in with my guests first, but um, different times to call for different measures, right? Uh, so I've been really interested in a lot of things going on around the world. Um, and one of the things I'm interested in is, you know, just little news bits and pieces here from different parts of the world. So I have a friend in Nigeria, um, Stephen, who um, will be telling us, you know, reporting on my foreign foreign correspondent, I'll call him, uh, who will be reporting on things that are going on in certain areas. Uh, and tonight we're talking about uh, one of the colleges, uh, one of the major colleges in Nigeria is on strike still. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I didn't check today, but I should have. Uh, but it's still on strike and it's affecting the students in so many ways. So um, I wanted to uh, just um, go and talk about that first. Uh, give me one moment and let me see. Uh, let me see what we got here. I'm glad that you guys are all back. Yeah, it's the, uh, so yeah, and I just, ASUU, Academic Staff Union of University Strike. Uh, and it's really, um, it's really causing a problem because a lot of kids, you know, they can't go to school and, you know, after the pandemic being home and not being able to go to college, it's kind of like uh, very, very hard to, to process all that stuff. And uh, Stephen Zikar is, uh, is uh, reporting on that. Uh, and unfortunately the, the um, signal system was not good. Uh, so we couldn't zoom um, the way we wanted to. So that's why we're doing it this way. So we appreciate you uh, for watching. And let me see what I can get over here for you. Let's see. So here's some of the, just some of the clips of what's going on. And then also tonight's guest will be, um, uh, uh, author of new book, Creating Monsters or Raising Champions. Uh, what's wrong with these kids? Uh, well, you can't see the book because I have the thing up, but he'll have it, I'm sure. Um, Travis Wertheim will be with us. So um, we're, we're excited about that. Okay. Uh, so just for now, let's just check out this strike and see what's going on with this. Uh, here's now, you know, there are language barriers sometimes. So we'll just be patient and listen to all of the uh, clips and you'll see, maybe you'll get a better idea of what's going on, okay? Okay. Well, even at that, the UNO are actually asking government for an improved funding for universities so that they can have better structures and also asking for increased salaries and allowance for their lecturers, you know, so that they can be able to do better than they are doing currently. And this has actually, you know, stopped our students from learning and they, they have all been home for over eight months now, hoping I believe that soon the strike will be called off. And so on several occasions, the government and the union have gone on a round table meeting on a finding a, a, a lasting solution to the situation, but they have all ended in deadlock. And we are hoping and believing that soon, the government and the union will come on a round table and these issues should be settled and they will go back to school. My name is Oyerinde Victoria. I'm a student of Federal University in Koja. I'm currently in my year one studying biotechnology. We've been at home for six months now and still counting due to the ASU strike and it has put a pause on my educational pursuits as I would have been in my year two by now. I believe I am speaking the hearts of every Nigeria student and we plead for the international community to come to our aid. My name is Donashid Akwan. I'm a hairstylist 
I am a parent who have a daughter in the university, but due to the ASU strike of over seven months now, she's unable to continue her studies. It is affecting the child mentally and psychologically. And as a parent, it is affecting me financially. A course of four years is no longer feasible in our university. After spending so much for their upkeep, for their accommodation, and, and, and nothing has happened. Now we have to pay more because when if they eventually resume, we have to pay more money to cover their accommodation and their upkeep to enable them to conclude their course of study. We are unhappy and sad with the way the government of of an, our government is playing politics with education in our country. It's making the children to lose interest in education. We are appealing to world leaders. We are appealing to world leaders to intervene in this situation. My name is Sonny Lawrence and I'm a Nigerian, currently seeking admission into the University of Abuja. Due to the ongoing ASU strike, which has lasted over seven months, making some youth out there in Nigeria frustrated about their schools and the rest, we are pleading with the international community to help bring the federal government and ASU to a close meeting where they can resolve these issues amicably. Yes. So we want to see what some of the um, what some of the solutions are. So here's one young man. Went into the issues and assist in resolving it permanently. Also, the Nigerian government and the union should put aside their egos and find a, a lasting solution to the issues currently being faced in the Nigerian universities, and also to avoid a total collapse of the nation's institution. Yes. Okay. So. Um, so as you can see, um, the strike is a real thing going on right now. Uh, and it's kind of sad because, you know, that's the one thing you have, you know, if you have a, a town that you're from is small and there's not much going on, the only thing you have really, right, is your, is your education. Uh, and if you don't have that, then you can't even see a future. So it's very important um, that I think is important to share these stories because um, maybe, I don't know, maybe someone there will hear it. I don't know. Um, I also think that uh, America uh, and other places need to, you know, we as people need to come up with solutions instead of making people come up with them just themselves. Sometimes it's overwhelming, you know, um, or they can't see the big picture. Sometimes we can see things that other people can't. Uh, so I'll try to bring you those stories and they're very organic, very you know, natural, as we say. Um, and that's why we have, um, you know, people that are really on the ground uh, sharing these stories in the pictures. Uh, so it's not um, doctored up and made to look pretty. It is what it is. Uh, and, uh, and we're hoping that uh, what, you know, what we're hoping is that our viewers can help um, other people in other places come up with other solutions. Um, because uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, we're all human beings and we all, I think we all need each other. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, so with that being said, um, that's pretty much the story for now. Um, I, I'm, I just want to talk to you guys for a minute. I'm so happy that you guys are back. Our guest is coming on. I'm just giving him a minute, um, to get, to get it, uh, to get together. Um, and he'll be here. Then I'll intro him. Uh, so I'm, I haven't seen you guys in so long. Let me see who's up here. Oh, hey, Anthony, what's up? How are you doing? I'm still I'm still on Facebook. You haven't seen me on Facebook? I'm still there. I am there. It's been two months, but I'm there. Uh, so uh, you can find me. I'm always saying something about something uh, somewhere. Um, but yeah, 
Um, it's been a while. So thank you guys for rocking with me. I, I know it's been a while. It's, you know, I, all shows take a hiatus. Usually it's in the summer. So mine's was a little weird time, but it was because I had to. So I appreciate you for coming back and checking us out. And um, again, I'm waiting for my guest, uh, Travis uh, Wertheim. Um, so he, our guest tonight has a master's in counseling. Uh, he has a BA in political science, uh, 33 years with the Texas Juvenile Justice Department. Woof, that man knows kids. So he has written a new book um, and it's awesome. Creating Monsters or Raising Champions. What's wrong with these kids in the uh, totally incorrect grammar that's purposeful? Um, and he goes into this book uh, with such great, um, you know, great solutions, not just telling what the problem is, but how to fix the problem. Um, and one is starts with parents. Uh, so we're going to have him on in a few uh, until he comes back. But anyway, who's out there? Let's see who's out there. Anthony. Um, I'll say, I saw, oh, you're on YouTube. <laughs> I see. Grandma, where are you? <laughs> so it's so good to see you guys. Um, in the meantime, while I'm waiting, uh, what else has happened in the news? Oh yeah. Kanye was responding to, um, uh, the media, uh, saying stuff about Lizzo. Um, and he was saying, you know, it's not healthy to be uh, that big and, it's kind of, he was saying something that like was genocidal something, but I kind of get what he says because there is such thing in my opinion. I mean, I make up words all the time. This is true, but there is such thing as I call it media genocide. Ooh, new one. Hey, mind blown. Uh, and what I'm, Hey Maria. Hey, what's up? Thank you, darling. How are you? Um, what I call that when I say media genocide, that's goes derives way from back when they made that first film to villainize black people, um, birth of a nation. Uh, so that theory still applies today, but they're just doing it another clever way. So like villainizing black women, like, oh, we're all loud and we do this, shake our necks. I do shake my neck though. <laughs> um, we shake our necks and we're loud. That's because we make sure we get heard and nobody's dominating us when we need to get a point across. What's wrong with that? men do it all the time. I don't see the problem. Uh, so, you know, they vilify us. They make, oh, they tell us that there's some new disease and black women get it. So that's, that's kind of the lines of what he's talking about. Um, so genocide and, and, cause you know, you can, you can kill a population, uh, by villainizing them, which is what's been done, which is why black men are number one target. Uh, because it's been said, oh, they're going to rob you. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Or what they say about Mexicans, you know, all those stereotypes are all, um, I call them, I'll, I mean, I'm just coining my word, but I call it, um, you can do like an oral genocide. I think you can. Uh, you can talk about people, you know, thank you, darling. How are you? Um, you can talk about people um, to the point where people start believing you, even if it's total lie, like you can totally fabricate something. And if, if you, you tell enough people it, they'll, somebody will start believing it. And then, then when someone believes the believer, then everybody starts believing it and it ain't even true. So that's kind of what's happening. Um, and you know, it, it's just shameful too, that the music industry and, and Hollywood too, I hate to say it, but they, they take us like, you know, yeah, you know, they'll sign you, you'll sign your act. But do you notice all the acts that are being signed? Have you noticed 
I don't know any that are saying anything that makes sense or that are real words. Very few, very few. And, and it's like, hmm, what's going on with this one? They got lucky. How did they get so lucky? So all the other ones are either like lean music or degrading, quite frankly. You know, you got Chris Brown and them talking about what they're going to do with the women and all this other stuff. And then you got um, the rappers, you know, talking about strippers and whatever. They're glorifying them, uh, which is fine if that's what you want to do. I mean, I don't blame you in a way because they glorify them when they go to the club and spend $50,000 in one night like idiots. But that's another story. Um, so I get that. But it's not, I don't know. I think a lot of black women are being vilified and in general, not just us, there's other people too. So don't get me wrong, but it's just uh, that statement that Kanye made for once um, actually made sense. And now they're saying he's crazy. Well, they've been saying he's crazy, but now they're saying he's crazy. Now I'm saying, wait a minute, that boy ain't that crazy. I thought he was crazy when he said that statement about slavery, but I think also this is a, comeback for him. He's trying to win us back because we literally dropped him like he was hot. Uh, so this is also his time to redeem himself. And this is how he chooses to do it, which I'm okay with. I mean, I'm okay. I learned that people, you got to meet people where they're at. And I don't know where he at, but he's somewhere in the abyss. <laughs> he's somewhere in the abyss. So you have to just take him as he is. Uh, I guess, you know, it's Kanye is something else is all I can say. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure how much, um, how do you say it? How much cred he would have with me uh, because uh, of the things he said, um, particularly about slavery. That ain't going to fly with me ever. Like, I'm never going to trust you. So so I don't care what he says, but but I understand what he's talking about, uh, the context of what he's talking about, the genocide. So uh, hold on to your panties, everybody, and relax. Uh, it's just a statement. It means nothing. Like, nothing means nothing unless we make it something. So Let's just chill on that one and know this. We are being vilified, um, but it's okay because uh, the man upstairs somehow always gets it right. Like no matter what people do to us, uh, we always come back strong. So I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, so in the meantime, my guest is here. So hold on. I'm going to, hi. Hello. There you are. Hey. So Hello. This intro real quick. So, so um, Travis, this is uh, Travis Wertheim Jr. And uh, he has a master's in counseling, a BA in political science, 33 years again, like I told you before, 33 years with the Texas Juvenile Justice Department. Welcome, Travis. How are you? I'm doing well, darling. Thank you for having me on. Oh, anytime. I This book title is uh, amazing because uh, <laughs> first I was looking at it and I said, huh, that's like juvenile. But then when I thought about it in the title and I said, oh, we need juvenile. We need to attract <laughs> the juveniles. So this makes perfect sense. So brilliant, 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 brilliant. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank yeah. you. have been doing a lot of book signings. I know. I know oh, your, fingers are tired. your fingers are tired by now, right? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I want to keep so, it going. <laughs> uh, say, uh, good. That's, a, that's what it's all about, you know? Um, so creating monsters or raising champions, what's wrong with these kids? Where'd you get this title? First of all, <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I've been thinking about the state of our children and our families. Mm -hmm. And because I worked in juvenile justice, all of my years was working with violent and aggressive kids. 
who had committed every kind of imaginable crime you can think of. Mm -hmm. So I thought about what is the practices of parents Mm -hmm. and families Mm -hmm. that produce kids who turn out to be little monsters Mm -hmm. terrorizing our communities. Mm -hmm. And then with that same idea, I thought about those wonderful families Mm -hmm. who have raised phenomenal kids. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk about what is the blueprint for raising kids who you would call champions. Mm. Wow. So this is, uh, I've been reading some of it and I'm just like, wow, I didn't want to put it down. Um, But unfortunately I wasn't able to speed read as quick as I wanted to, but I got through a lot lot of it, uh, enough to know that uh, this book will really help a lot of people out. Um, so one of the things, um, let me see, I, I just bookmarked because <laughs> I, I can go on forever, but I tried to bookmark what I thought was, um, you know, very crucial to, for parents to know. There's a book, parents, you got to get this book, especially if you have a troubled teen uh, or if you know a troubled teen or you work with troubled teens, you really want to get this book because, I mean, he's touching upon all the good points. I don't know if you know, Travis, but I worked over 15 years, I worked in the, well, I worked in the prisons and I worked with uh, adolescents in rehab. I've d- done all that. Stuff. So I really resonate with this book because I've been there, done that uh, as well. So I can really say from a, from a regular level and professional level, great work, great work. Uh, Thank you very much. I see here you ran, oh, over 30 years. Woo, good God almighty. I mean, what was that like? Texas gang intervention. You did groundbreaking programs. Uh, for gang intervention, alcohol and drug intervention, family. Well, tell me, tell me about that. Like, how did you come? How did you come about that in Texas? Well, number one, I wanted to assemble a staff team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may laugh at this. Mm-hmm. I wanted some big guys, some ball players, basketball, football. <laughs> so the first thing we put in kids' head. You don't want to try to get physical with these guys. And hey, I had some ladies who were strong and tough too, who didn't mind uh, taking them down if they needed to. But I also wanted people who had compassion for kids mm. and just loved children. Mm. And then I, I brought together a team that was so creative that we could do the things that, because you know, Kids didn't just need something to address the problem they had. Right. We needed to build something that was going to change their entire lifestyles. Mm. And we wanted to help the family out. We wanted to help the child out. And we wanted to make sure the child didn't come back in the system. Mm. So we created the jobs. We created uh, community service opportunities. We exposed the kids to all types of cultures. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just went on and on and on. Where the mm-hmm. games were high in the 80s and early 90s all over the country, mm-hmm. we created gang intervention programs that got at the heart of why kids joined gangs in the first place. Right. And then we found an alternative that could replace the same reasons they got into game and games and gave them something special. Right. Wow. That is amazing. So that may be why uh, some they delayed some of their releases until they earned privilege to go on, on a waiting list for your facility? Yes, ma'am. That's wow. exactly right. And I've heard that over 
and over throughout the years. We became in Dallas, the number one facility in mm. the state of Texas, mm. where the top leadership <laughs> wanted to send kids to, especially if they had majorly acting out behavior mm. and they were in transition from secure lockup facilities trying to get back to the community, they knew we were prepared to handle any kind of kid. Mm. Well, well, someone says, um, sorry, I heard a noise back there, uh, that uh, he is phenomenal in helping people feel present, valued, and appreciated. Isn't that like the most, I, I think, I find when young people get in trouble, that's usually, these are the reasons why. I mean, to the core, to the core of it. They don't feel uh, present. They don't feel valued or appreciated. That is exactly right. When I talk about kids, these teen kids who have committed mass murder, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, across the country, and you know there's a whole list of them. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I talk about is what is missing in the lives of those kids. Mm -hmm. they, are, they, have, they don't have, get attention. Right. They're unsupported, unencouraged, Mm -hmm. uninspired, and on and on and on. And you get kids in that kind of environment, and then they are severely abused yeah. physically, sexually, emotionally, continually told they are nothing. They'll be just like the old dad is in prison, who's nothing. Right. And they hear that message long enough that can turn kids into monsters. And obviously the opposite of that is true. You encourage them enough. You inspire them enough. You wipe their tears when they're going through stuff. And especially men. When people ask me what is the number one issue that's going on in our families, I tell them real simply, men, abusive men, absent men, and neglectful men who are not encouraging our kids and who are being participatory in the lives of our children. Yes. Yes. That I think that is a, a major piece. I mean, I'm, I didn't get a dad till late, but still, um, I really did help a lot. Like, even though with my mother, you still would listen to her. Uh, my, my foster mother was awesome. So I, I got, I lucked out, but, um, but I think a lot of men, and you see this in relationships, if you watch relationships and you see where they're broken, you're like, hmm, it goes back to like, what, so if you didn't have a dad, then you're not going to probably be a good dad unless you work hard to be a good dad. I mean, most, not saying because you didn't have one, you won't be, but you have to work harder to make sure you are and that you show up and that you not just show up, but you would participate That's because right. you can, you can easily just like, yeah, I'm the dad and get, get the credits and accolades, but are you going to the, the father and daughter dance? Are you paying the tuition? Are you, you know, buying the food, helping with the food and helping with the clothes and, you know, showing up the emotional support, all those things play a part. Um, and if you don't have that, it's kind of hard to expect it from, I mean, in this day and age, we have YouTube and stuff. So people are like, well, there's no excuse. And I'm, I mean, my mother was a heroin addict. I was in foster care. So what? I mean, violins could play all day, but I chose at five years old that I was never going to be like that. And no matter what happened in my life, I'm going to do at least the minimal of never hurt another person, you know, certain values, you know what I'm saying? Certain things that even if I never got to where I want to be, I'm not going to be down here. I'm not going to be um, in that predicament. You know what I'm saying? That is so correct. We make choices. 
Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, I, I work in a lot of schools. And what I see mostly is the absence of men. And you're right. There are some strong mothers who did a phenomenal job uh, raising children because they had to. They had no other choice. There was no man present. And they had to play both roles. But the more I work in schools, what I see absent is men. No men teachers. Or if there are a few men teachers, Mm -hmm. they are not the kind of men teachers that we want engaged in the lives of these children. Right. And uh, so that's what we got to do. I am doing a lot of workshops with men right now, Tanya. Mm -hmm. And I am really on us men about how we've got to step up to the plate, not just being a father to our own children. Right. We got to be what the street kids are calling gap daddies. Yeah. We have to stand in the gap for okay. those kids who have fathers who are missing. Yes. And mothers who are missing. They're gap mamas too. Yes. Absolutely. A lot of gap mamas. You're right about that. And some they there, but I don't know why they're there. <laughs> so that's very, you know, I saw you talk, you, briefly talked about it in your book. Um, um, you know, some of the mothers like, like, so they'll have a kid and then they get on welfare. And instead of saying, well, let me see how I can make this better and change this, they get their kids on it and then they have more kids and more kids and more kids. Um, and then it becomes this, uh, generational, uh, what do you call it? Um, just a generational pass down. Yes. You know? It's a dependency. It, yes. it evolves into a dependency. Yes. And you've heard me say this before. Uh, welfare did so much damage to uh, families of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was designed for a temporary fix to a financial crisis, but it became generational dependency. Mm-hmm. And if you recall me saying before, they sent out case managers to families to see if there was evidence of a man's presence in the home. And if there was, the women could lose their privileges, which makes no sense at all. Exactly. Because they don't do it to other families. Uh, That's for sure. And you know, what's funny about that. I I was uh, over in London and I noticed, um, you know, especially back in the day, a lot of people were on what they call the dole, which is to us welfare. Uh, A lot of people. And and, because it's like a thing, but nobody shames nobody. Only here in this country do they shame people and say, you're a bum, you need to do this or that. Now, I can't figure out why that is. Um, and, and it is a dependent system. It's created to keep you always right where they want you. Uh, so it is, no matter where you're at, that's what it's for. But I wonder why they don't look down on it like they do here. I wonder. Um, I'm not sure why. And even even there, you can buy your housing, you know, the apartment you're in, instead of like here, you can't. That is never going to happen here. But uh, really weird things that are really different, uh, but they are the same. And I don't know, the results are different, you know, Um, and I'm not sure why. But uh, back to you. Uh, So you also talk about, um, uh, well, so it was also said in your book, someone said about you that Mr. Wertheim has a deep uh, burden for poor, homeless, and those what he calls depressed incomes in form of oppression that hinders them from attaining quality of life. That is so crucial. That is so, if someone feels like they just like existing, barely existing, what do they have to attain to? You know, what what do they have to aspire to? You know? Well, Tanya, one of the uh, 
uh, folks, reporters in the media asked me this question. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between teen white mass murderers mm -hmm. and 60 people getting killed in Chicago or Philadelphia or Detroit over the weekend? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I explained about those getting killed over the weekend in Chicago is generational poverty, generational hopelessness, mm -hmm. generational lack of uh, folks being able to provide for their families, and they learn a habit of getting money fast and any way they can. So when you have that much disparity mm -hmm. over endless periods of time, and Dr. King said it this way, and I paraphrase, mm -hmm. where darkness is a reality, crimes will be committed. Don't be so quick to blame those who commit the crime without holding responsible those who create the darkness. Mm. Wow. That's now that's, <laughs> that's serious stuff right there because I, I, I agree. It's like, I, it's like me putting you in a corner and telling you to stay there. Eventually you're going to want to come out fighting for food. And if I don't give you food, what do you think is going to happen? You're right. going to be like trying to fight out of that corner. There's no way you're going to stay there. Uh, so I agree with that statement. Um, you know, um, I had a kid tell me something strange once. He said, um, he said, um, I said, dude, why are you doing what you do or whatever? And, you know, uh, he's just, you know, just, just a kid I know. And he was like, oh, you know, my dad is a millionaire and I'm never going to be like him. And I don't want to be like him, but I don't know where I fit in. That was very sad for me. And, and it was a white kid that said this. I felt really bad for him because I was like, dang, you got a point. It's like, my dad's a millionaire. I don't want to be like him. Um, and and uh, and so I'd rather do drugs or something. Uh, and I was like, really? But I couldn't figure that out. And then I thought about it. I said, he doesn't feel empowered. Yes. Even even with the money, he doesn't feel empowered. He doesn't feel it. So it's not even just about the cash. There's other elements that are missing. You're dead on. Matter of fact, here's one thing I share with white males or those in affluent communities. Hmm. Um, kids in rich communities and kids in poor communities, they experience the same kinds of pain hmm. uh, in this way. Hmm. Kids in affluent communities have a father in the home who comes and sleeps in the bed at night. But they come in after the kids go to sleep mm -hmm. and they leave before the kids wake up. Wow. There are ships passing in the night. They're throwing stuff at the kids, but they're not giving kids what they need the most. Right. And obviously the opposite of that is true in uh, 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 neighborhoods of color or poor communities mm -hmm. where the dad never showed up for duty in the first place. Right. So what I tell them is the only difference between how those kids are in pain. Mm -hmm. In the affluent community, the kids turn their pain inward. They do drugs and right. they commit suicide. Mm. In the poor community, they turn their pain outwardly. Right. They are the ones that sell the kids the drugs mm -hmm. and commit the burglaries and the robberies and the drive-by shootings that's their way of creating the money 
they need to survive mm. because if they've got a felony and many of them have those at early ages, mm-hmm. it is almost impossible to get a living wage job. Yes, yes. And I think uh, whoever created that system knows that (laughs) it's purposeful. Um, And the catch is, you know, I used to try to tell the kids, the catch is not to get in the system because once you get in, it's hard to get out. It's it's a it's a hard challenge. I mean, there are people coming up with creative ways even around that, you know, because people make mistakes. That's the bottom line. 15 year old who does uh, I'm making this up, but a 15 year old who, uh, let's say was sitting in a car where his friends robbed something and he didn't know, and they got in the car and was, he's a part of that crime now and he's got to go serve time. So does he deserve, I mean, he does deserve to go to jail, I guess they say, but technically it's like, mm, he didn't really do anything and he didn't even know about it. He just was in the wrong place at the wrong time and didn't pay attention. Uh, so there's people like uh, the gentleman in Yonkers who has a bakery and he helps felons uh, not only get a job, but he gives them benefits. He makes sure they have a place to stay, and he trains them for an apprenticeship. Apprenticeship, I can't say the word, so that they have a skill. You know, there's people like that are popping up left and right. Who's like, yeah, we'll hire. I know a bakery that used to be here and in, uh, in Mount Kisco area that used to hire people. Um, so there's there's people that are being creative, as we say, and trying to figure out how can I help in this. You know. Right. There's wonderful people all over in every color who really wants to do the right thing. And they finally are beginning to get it that we have created a lot of that environment that has caused people's conditions. Now, that doesn't mean we give them a pass on them making that choice. Uh, They knew the choice they was making and they should be held accountable uh, to some degree. And at the same time, when they do serve that time and get out, Mm -hmm. they have families to take care of. They have children to take care of. And if we don't give them an opportunity to make money in legal ways, you can guarantee they're going to find it in illegal ways. And they're doing that all the time. But we can change this thing. Yes, absolutely. I, I totally think you can. Um, so you, I know you're um, religious, and uh, which is great. Uh, and in your own words, you said, God made no junk, and God is never short of handing out gifts. Mm, yes. That's powerful. That is power Because that the gift part is the one thing I try to teach young people um, whenever I cross them. I don't care who they are, where they come from. I say, what is your gift? And they look at me like, what? And some know. They're like, oh, I play piano, or I write, or I sing, or I write, I put things together well, or whatever it is. So they get it. But very few get that one piece that I wish I knew as a young person. If you know what your gifts are, man, you can fly. Yes. You can fly because you don't got time for everything else. If you got your gift, you're focusing on that. You know, like, how do I, this is what makes me happy, makes my soul happy, makes me be nice, you know, whatever that is, singing, writing, dancing. That, that is a big piece um, for young people finding their gift. Because I think when they're lost and they don't know they have one, that's a double whammy. Yes, yes. Double whammy. Now, Daniel, one of the things I do in counseling with kids, mm-hmm. one of the first things I do is to have them to research their name. Oh, yes. And that's the purpose of that is if we can discover what our purpose is, like you just described, Mm-hmm. And those gifts and talents that we have, once we're able to acquaint ourselves with that, mm-hmm. we will never go against ourselves anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, a guy asked me during a workshop I was leading yesterday, mm-hmm. men's workshop. Mm-hmm. He's dealing with some client who is extremely anger, angry, rebellious, and resistant. Uh, and I told him this because uh, he was asking the question, "What do I do with him?" Right. I said, "One thing you can know right up front: whenever you find an angry person, mm-hmm. there's something at the heart of why they are angry." I go into schools and I ask principals to give me eight to 10 of the worst boys they have (laughs) because I know if they are problematic in that school, nobody has gotten to the social, emotional part of why they are responding and reacting the way they do. Mm. And when I'm training teachers, for instance, I let them know you're expecting this kid to come to class, to Mm. be respectful, to be compliant. Mm. He may have been selling drugs all night. He may have been living on the streets all night. He may not have had a meal this morning. Mm. And you expecting him to provide what he's never felt. Mm. Mm. Wow. That's so true. I mean, it's so many layers to this. It's just it's crazy. I mean, so many layers. Um, and that is that's um crucial that, you know, teachers, parents, um, the kid, every, everybody's on the same page um, and sending the same message because uh, they don't get as confused if they know everybody's saying the same thing, you know. Um, it, it's just, wow, it's so, so many, so many things uh, to this. Um, so you, um, when you wrote this book, um, what, what inspired you? Uh, number one, I've been wanting to write it for 20 years, and I have a mentor I've had for 40 years, been trying to kick my behind for 20 years to get it done. Because <laughs> he knew my background, he knew my abilities, uh, he knew that I had something that most didn't have, and that's not giving me any accolades, that's just because of what God has put in me. He knew that I have been uh, partnered with so many subject experts. When I did my first book signing, uh, I had about 250 people showed up for it. Nice. From all over the Dallas Metroplex on every wow. level you can imagine. And here's part of why they came, not just to support me and the introduction of my book, and that was part of it. Mm-hmm. But I brought in subject experts on just about every area that I covered in my book, uh, sex and human trafficking, games, drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, principals that run some of the most phenomenal schools. Mm. Uh, I brought in people that I know added value to Mm. everything that I was talking about in the book. And because of all of that, Mm. and because of what I've been seeing in children, this endless behavior, these endless dead stares in their eyes, this hopelessness, Mm. uh, and then parents who don't have a clue about mm. raising children. Nope. And we always hear people say, children don't come with a manual. Mm. Well, I never believed that, but what I did want to give them is a guide. And if you're truly serious about not making those missteps that so many parents did mm. that turned their kids into little monsters, mm-hmm. then I have in the book the steps that those parents took 
mm. that raise phenomenal kids. Mm. And if you simply follow the blueprint, right. there's a good chance you're going to raise a child you're very proud of. Wow. Wow. Raise a champion, as you say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, uh, I, um, uh, I, I'm, there's so much stuff in this book. I mean, I can go on forever. Um, but it's like, uh, I, I like some little quotes. So I just highlighted something you said, God stamped. Uh, so, you, um, let me see how would I take on this one? Uh, human being. Okay. I reminded them, I remind them they have been crowned with glory and honor made to be Kings and Queens, and they will never have a need to be validated by another human being because God stamped them approved when they were born. Woof. Mm. Yes, ma'am. We got to look at every kid like he is a king or queen. Yes. And though they may not be behaving that way, and by the way, this is one reason why our program was so successful. Mm -hmm. I taught the staff to uh, uh, to deal with kids mm -hmm. on a level that we see in them that they're capable of, right. even though they're not acting like it. If we don't give them a push to another level, they'll never know that they can get there. Right. And once they begin to get there and establish their position, you can never take that away from them. Nope. Nope. Because you have the confidence you need and uh, and, uh, and you feel like you can do something. Yeah. No, that's, um. wow. That's, a, that's, I, that's the best line I think I've heard this year. Um, that God, uh, he stamped you with approval, uh, like approved. I mean, that's just amazing. Um, so you have, um, oh, there's another one that this is my favorite. Um, you want to know why there are so many ugly children in the world? <laughs> Follow them home from school and watch who opens the door for them. <laughs> yeah, that comes from the late Red Fox. Yes, that's what it was. I was like, this is a Red Fox quote uh, by my favorite comedian. Uh, so that was Yeah, it. he said, ugly children come from ugly parents. <laughs> and we know he meant that metaphorically. Metaphorically, yes, yes. No, it was just, the leaf doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> well, I always say that. But just like, I mean, sometimes even, um, uh, what do you call it, profilers, uh, they were trying to say with, with uh, Jeffrey Dahmer that, oh, there's nothing that particularly stands out of why he would do what he did. He, he grew up in a normal household and da da da. I was like, nah, nah, I ain't going for that. You can't tell me you're eating people and you grew up in a normal household. <laughs> and then the next sentence will be them interviewing the neighbor who's like, yeah, he liked dead birds. And I'm like, clue, clue number one, eight years old, liking dead birds, not a thing. Uh, so, you know, oh, apple does not fall from the tree, but they don't, they don't tell you the full psycho, you know, uh, valuation. You know how you do the psychosocials when the people first get in, they don't tell you all that part. And so you're missing. So we go around thinking like, oh, he just became a serial killer because he just wanted to be. I don't believe that. I don't well, believe that. And think of this, Tanya, when you talk about these teen mass murderers, how do they get radicalized to be able to even commit an act like that or drive by a shooter? Yeah. Well, it happens in this way. Most of those uh, teen murderers mm -hmm. uh, that have killed so many children and adults, mm -hmm. if you notice whenever there's TV footage on them, mm -hmm. they come from at least middle income families. Mm -hmm. So what is that about? These are not poor kids nope. raised in poverty. Mm -hmm. So I know what it's about. 
Mm. It's about isolation. Mm. It's about kids being unchecked, mm. unencouraged, mm. uninspired, unprotected, unsupported, left alone to raise themselves. And soon as they hit a crisis, mm. they go on social media and they get a chance to get radicalized by somebody that's uh, uh, tuning in to exactly what their need is and who's able to comfort them along just what they've been uh, beaten down with and re-inspire them. And we know they are not doing it for any goodwill, but that's a part of how all of that happens. Mm. These kids picking up these ARs and right. uh, K-47s, mm. <laughs> that ain't a normal gun that ends up in the hand of a kid. Mm -hmm. So they are being radicalized to have those weapons of mass destruction. Right. Well, wow. Uh, it's just, uh, I just, uh, that's the part for me is like, how do you even, how do you even murder somebody? Like, have, how do you even think that that's like, okay to do? And a lot of it's not even like someone's in the middle right now to murder someone else. So you're going to try to stop it. That makes sense that you're going to stop, you're going to jump in and help. That makes sense. But just to walk up to somebody and just do a pop them, it's like, what? Wait, what made you think that that would be a human thing to, like, I just, I I couldn't even imagine doing that to somebody. You know what I'm saying? I have, everybody has their moments where someone pisses you off, but I ain't never had that moment where I'm like, I'm just going to go and shoot somebody. I mean, you just don't do that. You just don't, I, I don't know who thinks like that. And that that means that their, their past is jacked because for you to have that kind of thinking, to think that it's okay, I'm just gonna—I don't like you, and I'm just gonna get rid of you—is is like a—it's an innate um, privilege type of thing, and not privilege like white privilege, but privilege like, um, well, I can do it because I want to. Um, and it's like, where'd that come from? That 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 there's some—I don't know if that's narcissistical. I don't know what it is, but there's something going on with that that you think that you can just walk up to somebody and knock fire out of them and bring their life to to end. It, I I just People do it all the time and they've done it multiple times, but I'm like, how do you do that as a human being in sleep? How do you sleep? Like, that's what I want to know. Well, let me, let me give you a good story. That's in the book that goes right at the heart of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who allowed me to share his story. Okay. He was raised with four other uh, siblings. Okay. His mother looked on him as the bastard child the child who was switched at birth, the black sheep of the family. And she told him that all the time, that he was a nobody. He wasn't expected to be much. She beat on him all the time with anything she would find that she could pick up. She treated the other four kids differently. And then when she would beat him, she would often get drunk. And the, the alcohol became her medication for liking her child again, because that's the only time she tried to kiss him. Mm. So one day he had been beaten down so badly mm. over such a long period of time, never thought he would be anything, mm. that he got a butcher knife while she was sleeping on the couch mm -hmm. and went over to stab her to death. Mm -hmm until God intervened. Mm. Now here's the irony. The last 15 years of her life, mm. she was almost an invalid. Mm. 
Mm. And out of all the other kids that she loved so well, he is the one that took care of her, including feeding and bathing her. Mm. Mm -hmm. And he was the one that wanted to kill her. Mm. Mm -hmm. Ain't that something? Look at God. So, so think of a child that goes through all of that. His number one primary caretaker sees him as a nobody. Mm. He was a mistake, and that is repeated over time. And they get into a habit of doing behavioral things that they know that they're going to get in trouble for. Mm -hmm. I had one kid one time that was a cutter, suicidal. Mm -hmm. And we thought that he had cut himself with a blade or something like that. Mm -hmm. He was taken to the hospital. He had torn his veins up so badly. And we found out later from the doctor, he didn't cut himself. He didn't accidentally do that with a nail. He chewed his arm that way. What? And that was a way of him beginning to feel that he was human. Mm. He did uh, suicidal acts just to know that he was still human because mm. of all the abuse he had experienced throughout his years. Oh, my goodness gracious. That's like, how do you reach kids like that? That's so sad. So sad. I mean, that's, oh, some, sometimes, have you ever, uh, have you ever met someone that there was no point of return? Yes. Okay. A sex offender. Okay. Uh, and well, I mean, he was only 16 years old. Normally teenagers who are sex offenders get a chance to change about right. adulthood. Okay. Cause some of that is phase stuff that they're going through. This kid already had 30 violations where he had raped small children. Oh, God, no. Oh. And when I had him in the facility, one of my staff called him one day doing a family workshop where they were able to bring some smaller kids to that facility. He was rubbing on his chest in a sexual way while he watched that child a three-year-old child. Mm -hmm. And what that was all about is, as soon as he got out of the system, you could guarantee that he was going to rape another child. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. no, I, I can't believe they wouldn't let him out, honestly. Uh, Cause though, uh, there's some people I think are not rehabilitatable. <laughs> and one is child sex offenders for me, for me. Now that may be not true, but I've shown me one that has, and I'll give you a million dollars. I just believe lobotomy would be the only way. That's just me. Uh, I don't know if that's a thing, but um, that's just one. That's one population I just can't. I can't. Ch I, children's my my no my game over, uh, and I know that's wrong because you shouldn't. Not I sign. I'm judging. It's just no. I'm 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 the victim of one, so maybe that's why I'm extra on it. Uh, but I just. It's just the one thing I'm like, I tried to have, there was only, actually there was one female woman uh, that I actually had compassion for. Cause when I heard her story, I was like, oh my gosh, no, that's the story of all stories. I've never heard one like this one. I mean, I've heard every kind of story on what, you know, the children being abused and they became abused. I've heard tons of them that I said, okay, all right. But I didn't become an abuser. So, but, but with this person's story, I've never heard nothing like it. 
never generational just generational dysfunction that would just down to the core like there was just almost it was almost impossible to be anything else but a monster when you're raised by those monsters so well, well do you remember the story that oprah winfrey showed on one of her uh tv episodes it's been about 20 years ago i guess mm -hmm. uh where she had this pastor it was an african-american pastor mm -hmm. and he had fathered his children uh I mean, he had had babies by his children. Ooh. He had babies by his grandchildren and oh. his great-grandchildren. No. He had about 20-something babies what? by three generations of his own family members. Jesus. And that was the guy that Oprah had on one of her shows. Well, this is very much comparison uh, and probably even worse it, to be you know, abused by your mom and dad and your grandpa. I mean, this is, this poor, this, this poor woman, I just felt so horrible for her. She, she probably was one of them children, put it that way. I'll put it that way. You know what I'm saying? And so those are, that's a case where I'd be like, all right, I have to have a little compassion. Cause now I'm like, uh, especially when they were little, they were little babe, barely babies. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. not like they were older and knows that know the difference. When children are abused and they're younger, it's hard, especially if they were groomed and trained. And then the first time they know that something's wrong is when they watch television or hear a story. You know what I'm saying? So I those cases I could say, okay, maybe I'll you know make an exception. But other ones, um, like you know, I can't. I just it's, it's just like you know the priests and stuff. I can't. I can't be like, oh, I forgive you. I'm so, I can't do it. I'm working on myself. Um, you know, because uh, God says not to judge, right? But uh, I'm still a work in progress on that one. Uh, so are there any, uh, has there ever, what's your best success story? How about that? Or if you're allowed to tell it. Oh, I love talking about some of those. Yeah. Uh, there's one young man, I won't call his name for uh, due to his current title. Mm -hmm. uh, when I got him years ago, he stands about 6'6". Wow. One of the meanest kids I've ever seen. Uh -huh. Gang banger, drug dealer, the whole bit. Right. Uh, we literally had to get physical with him several times. Mm -hmm. But we saw in that kid something that he could himself. Mm -hmm. And we eventually got that kid in college, got him uh, a scholarship to play ball. Mm -hmm. uh, he ended up being one of the greatest kids you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Today, he is a lieutenant on a fire department. Oh, praise God. He became a youth pastor. Uh, he, he is a father of four boys. Mm -hmm. Just a phenomenal young man. Wow. And the reason he became a drug dealer and a gangster mm -hmm. is because his mother's boyfriend used to beat him down every time he saw him. Mm -hmm. And he wanted a way to stop his mother's boyfriend from assaulting him all the time. So he joined the gang mm. and that gang stopped that boyfriend from beating on him. Mm. But then he had to pay a heavy cost for being a part of that gang as well. Mm. Wow, well, that's a phenomenal story that, he, that uh, you know, somebody was saved or changed, uh, you know, cause that's what it's all about. Just if you reach one, it helps. Uh, cause there's so much, um, we all have to do as a community to really 
create a better change for for all kids, not just in Chicago. There's other kids, you know, that you don't even see or hear about that are going through just as much, but they don't they don't speak up. You know, we don't know till they do suicide or homicide or you know what I'm saying till they become a shooter or whatever. Uh, so that's why your book is so important because. I really think that you touch on everything here uh, in every type of kid, which is important. You know what I'm saying? So not just the kid in Chicago, but also the kid at home in the suburbs who's suicidal or thinking about shooting up a school because he's not getting the attention that he needs either. So those are, you know, it, it goes hand in hand. Um, anything else you want us to know about the book? Where can we buy it? Where can we get the book? I meant to ask. Urbanpublishinghouse.com. Okay. Urban. www.urbanpublishinghouse.com. Okay. I'll put it up here. www.urbanpublishinghouse.com. That should be right. U R B A N. Uh huh. Okay. That's good. Yes. And it's on, uh, uh, you can get uh, a paperback. Hardback and it's on ebook. Oh, ebook. Yes. Okay. Good. Two other things I'll address in the book. Mm-hmm. One, I am talking to women mm-hmm. about things that happen in the family that drives wedges between fathers and children. Okay. That at the heart that destroys families. Yes. Obviously, I have four chapters dealing with men, right? Men and generational curses, men and anger. When yes. men tap out, retreat, and disengage, mm-hmm. what's going on with men? And mm-hmm. then men who find favor with God, spouse, children, and the community. Mm-hmm. And then I talk about cyberbullying, a bullying at school. Mm-hmm. And I give parents intervention strategies on what to do and how to watch out for their kids. Right. And then I go into uh, talking about schools, healthy schools that are good at protecting children. What are the habits and practices of those schools? Mm -hmm. And then finally, I talk about churches and what churches can be doing to turn kids and families around and turning entire communities around. And I use an example of one pastor in the Southern Dallas area that is just changing the game in terms of lifting homeless people, poor people up Mm. on a level where they're able uh, uh, to live and exist and have good jobs and be restored to their families. Mm. Praise God. That's amazing. I I love when everybody in the world does their part, because if we all do our part, maybe somebody will be changed. (laughs) Somebody, you know. So thank you so much for sharing this book. You guys, uh, make sure you go out and get Creating Monsters or Raising Champions, What's Wrong with These Kids uh, by Travis Wertheim. Thank you so much for um, taking the time to stop by on the town. And uh, you guys can pick up the book uh, there at urban, uh, www.urbanpublishinghouse.com. Um, and uh, you can always inbox, inbox me. <laughs> Listen to me, I've been in England too long. Inbox me, inbox me. You can always inbox me. I don't know where that came from. Don't ask. Uh, inbox me uh, if you forget uh, or if you don't see the link, uh, no problem. Um, so thank you again, Travis. I appreciate you. Um, I, it's a, I can't believe an hour is gone already. Um, I appreciate you. So well, obviously we're talking about things that are very relevant in terms of saving our kids and families 
and communities in general. And I'm real clear that the government is not the answer. We've got to do it at a local level and we can and there are answers and we just need to stand up. And boy, I had a wonderful time challenging men uh, doing the uh, workshop on yesterday uh-huh. in terms of how we can turn neighborhoods around. And wow. I want to do this all over the country. Wow. Well, that's really awesome. I think you're going to do it. I think it's definitely going to happen. Uh, and uh, if you're a principal, you're, you have kids, you work with kids, you definitely want to get this book. Uh, please you know, go out and get it. Um, and, and again, it's, I'm telling you, I've, I've only read half of it and that's enough. Just that, just that much for me has been enough to see that this book, it will definitely save and change some lives. Uh, so you got to go get it. If you're serious about helping your kids be the top champions, be who they are, really are supposed to be, then you want to get the book, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, and especially if your kid's in trouble, because right now, a lot of kids, just so much stuff going on, especially after the pandemic, you know, things have lifted, but it's still like a little awkward for people. So they can't have conversations and that puts people in internally, you know, to stay home and play video games and not really engage, you know? So it's important. It's very important. Please go out and get the book, Creating Monsters or Raising Champions. I appreciate you, Travis. And I hope you'll come back and, um, and see us again. For yeah. you, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I've been joined at the hip with you now after oh, y'all talking right. about me. Any, any oh, on the other ones. <laughs> yes, no, anytime, anytime. You know, all right, darling. Thank you. you. Love you much, darling. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you again next week.